Welcome to the Money Maven Project Podcast. If you're here to learn how to obtain freedom over your time and money through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Create the life you want by living with intention and becoming a maven in mindset, money, and real estate. Now, here's your host, Justin Monk. Hey, this is Justin Monk with the Money Maven Project podcast. Super excited today for our guest, Josiah Smelsler. Uh, super stoked here. Um, I don't have much of a bio. We haven't had too much time to coordinate here. So let's, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself and give us your background, kind of where you've come from, and then talk to us about how you got started in real estate investing. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. Um, so I live in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, currently got a real estate portfolio of about 20 properties. It's all one to four family stuff. And it's worth around $4 million. Um, built the lion's share of that in about 12 months. But I started investing in real estate in 2004. Um, I started off in the real estate game as an appraiser. And I've also got my broker license now. So I run my own appraisal business in my, uh, and I also use my broker license on deals here and there. But sold on my properties from 04, uh, sold them in about 08, and then went to grad school, got married, hiked the Appalachian Trail, uh, then got back into this real estate thing because I, I was interested in pursuing financial freedom and, um, and also working for myself, leaving the corporate world. And um, in a nutshell, that's that's my story. So, uh, And I'm also married and got three children, ages six, five, and two. So they, nice. keep, me, uh, they keep me busy, yeah. Nice. So currently you have 20 properties. Mm-hmm. Um, how many doors is that? Yeah, it's 19 doors. We got one duplex yeah. and the rest are single families. Nice. Valued at $4 million. And you did that in 12 months, you say? Yeah, the lion's share was in 12 months. Um, and we can we can dive into that uh, but, if you want to. But yeah, we, uh, yeah, yeah we, we started off, you know, like most people do, just looking around on the MLS and um, you know, being an appraiser, I, I'm always big on being able to pull good data on comparable sales and being able to know my ARV and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I'm in Huntsville, Alabama, Huntsville, anybody who knows about Huntsville, it's, it's a really hot market. Um, a lot of growth going on here. A lot of people trying to invest here from out of state. And when I moved here, I grew up in Florence, Alabama. So I moved closer to home because, you know, I've got kids and my parents are close. So I wanted to be near grandparents. Yeah. Um, so when I moved, moved back here, I was, I was shocked at how few deals I could find. Um, and we worked pretty hard. I'd say the first 12 months and just got two or three properties, which I was not satisfied with. I just felt like we should be making more traction for all the effort we were putting in. And so I said, well, why don't we look outside of, Huntsville and try to locate or identify some of their markets we would want to invest in. And, um, you know, I, I formerly lived in Fort Worth, Texas. That's where I started my first appraisal business back in 2005. Yeah. And, um, I learned that market really well while I was out there cause I was doing appraisal work, residential appraisal work. And so I've always loved that market. My, the investments I owned from 04 to 08 did really well there. And, um, I wish I'd kept all those. But back then, there wasn't a bigger pockets, and there wasn't this this momentum and movement and real, with real estate investors that there is now. At least I didn't know about it. 
Um, and so I was just reading things like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and some investing, real estate investing books here and there and kind of felt like I was kind of flying out on my own doing this stuff. Um, but I, I love that market. And I, I believe that market's really going good places. And, and I lived over in Fort Worth, actually. So we started looking in Fort Worth um, and I was able to find deals in Fort Worth and more deals than I was in Huntsville. And so most of my properties are in Fort Worth, Texas. And we typically bought deals in, I would, I would say, B-class neighborhoods. So not the nicest, but higher, higher end than C-class. And most of them are cash. Or the average uh, profit per door is right around 200 bucks net of operating expenses and debt service. And we feel like they're appreciating nicely based on data and the markets and stuff. And so our goal was to get good cash flow and also get good appreciation. And that's why we chose these, these areas. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, so, so how are you funding these? Is this all personally funded? You, are you getting some partners, investors? How are you doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. So we started off the same way most everybody else does. We had, some capital. And I say we, uh, my, one of my best friends approached me a couple years ago. He had had a really good year with his business. He was in sales. He had some extra capital. He knew that I was into real estate investing. And also I did appraisal work and he wanted a partner uh, to go in and do this stuff. So he, he said, Hey, I'll throw the money in. I'm not comfortable investing on my own. I don't know what I'm doing if you'll basically help us locate good investments and run the, the whole process, we can split everything. If you know, once I get my money back. So yeah. the deal I made with him is we split everything 50, 50, we formed a partnership and I just basically ran point on finding the deals, getting them financed, you know, getting them renovated, getting the tenants in there, getting them refinanced and he put the capital in. So, I was able to build this portfolio with none of my own money, but a good deal of my time, um, which is, which is the equal of money in my yeah. eyes. Like you're either going to put time in or you're going to put your own money in or something. You can't, exactly. you can't do it without investing some resource. So I put time in, he put money in and um, we were able to, it, it really worked well for us. But the way we structured this was when we started off, we just had some capital and we were you know, going the traditional route where you find a deal you take it to the bank, you know, they may do a subject to completion loan on it where you can borrow to purchase plus fix it up. And then they're going to lend you 75% of that or something along those lines. But of course that takes a while to close those loans. And then, you know, if your appraisal comes in low, it's, it's hard, you know, it's just harder to do it that way. So we started, we figured out later that the bottleneck in our process was time and was, money right so you don't want to wait you can't wait for a month to close on a deal that that you found off market um or or that you're getting through a wholesaler they don't want to give you that much time so we uh we we realized we needed to buy from wholesalers and we need to have quick money to close so we started going through hard money lenders well the hard money lenders you know, would say a lot of them would market that they'll close, you know, up to 90% loan to cost or whatever. So we would go that route, you know, we would get a deal, we'd have to have 10% of our cash tied up plus, you know, insurance and monthly payments and closing costs and all that, which adds up to a lot more than 10% of the deal. So 
you again start running out of capital. So what really changed the whole deal for us was when I started borrowing private money and layering that in on top of the hard money to basically take control of deals, fix up deals, and get them refinanced with no money out of my own pocket. So that's how we were able to go so fast. So you started borrowing private money. So is this just from other people that you know um, or in your network? Like how did you start finding that private money? Yeah, yeah. We, we basically, well, we were doing deals and, you know, I have, I have my Instagram account, which is, it's at Daily Real Estate Investor. I'd love to connect with anybody that, that wants to connect over real estate and that kind of thing. I love real estate investing, but they were tracking with me on my Instagram account and then my podcast, the daily real estate investor. I, I was meeting people through that. And, you know, when you're doing deals and people, you know, are tracking with you and see that you know what you're doing, people will start approaching you with money um, because they want to get a good return on their investment as well. Some people yeah. are, are not getting a great return in the stock market. And some people just have money outside of the stock market that, they don't have invested in real estate that they just want to make a decent return on. And so they would, they would come to me and offer, you know, Hey, I would be happy to make you a loan at this amount with this rate, you know, and I was able to to use that money and go do some, some residential deals, layering that in on, in on top of hard money where we didn't have to use all of our capital to go in and take these deals down. We would keep our capital in reserves. And that allowed us to do a lot more volume all at once. So yeah, and then uh, and then your strategy: Are you cash out refinance down the road to to pay to yes. give a return back to the private money yep. and to pay off the hard money? Awesome. Yeah, the the way the, yeah the way the average loan would work is, and I found most of my stuff through wholesale, wholesalers because looking on the MLS, I just was not able to find deals that made a lot of sense most of the time. I found a few MLS deals that are great, but uh, most of these were through wholesalers. So we would we would lock the deal down, and then we would go to my hard money and private money guy, tell them how much this is going to be. They would cut a check for the entire amount. We would close on it. We would use our money to service the interest-only payments throughout the renovation. Then once we had this thing rented, I would take it over to Fannie Mae and do a 30-year fixed conventional refi, and it's not a cash-out refi. Um, a lot of people think, well, you can't cash out for six months. Well, we weren't doing a cash out. We were, because I wasn't, I wasn't borrowing the private money directly. The private money was going into the deal at closing. So, so when we did a refi, we were just directly paying off the hard money and private money lender through the refi. So there was no cash out done. So the way the Fannie rules were working the entire time we were doing this is, there is no season seasoning period when you're not doing a cash out, you can refine a month or three months or whatever. So we were literally limited by just how fast we could get the refi or the renovation done. So a lot of times this would take three months, you know, we'd buy it, have it rented and rented in three months and have our refinance ready to go. So that's an interesting point. Um, that difference between a cash out refinance and then just a normal refinance. So you're saying that, um, because you weren't actually, you weren't pulling any more capital out other than the 70% that they would give you. Um, you did, there was no seasoning period on it. Is that, is that what I understand? Right. Right. And these, um, when you're, I mean, the way that our refinances worked, they gave us 75%. 
So, you know, and uh, they may, there may be a lower limit on cash out refinances, but we weren't using those. So with the 75% loan to value, as long as my deals were at 75% of, ARV, of the ARV, I could pull this whole process off without putting my own capital into the deal. So literally, the thing you want to do is, you know, speed up the velocity of money, right? You want to, you want to have the money going in, have the renovations going quickly and have the refinance completed quickly. Because that gives, gets your hard money and private money back. It lowers those high borrowing costs on the hard money and private money loans, which, by the way, our blended rate on these was about 8.5%. So it's lower than you probably initially thought because um, we had good hard money and private money lenders and they trusted us and stuff. So it wasn't really super high rate of interest, but when you compare it to, you know, like 3.5%, which is what we refinanced some of them on you know, it's much higher. So yeah, yeah. The, the trick was just going quickly through the, the renovation and refi process, but we didn't have to let it season for six months because there was no cash out refinance going on at the closing. They were just paying the hard money and private money back. That's interesting. Cause that's where I'm, I've, I've got a few deals right now. Um, I've started in single family, uh, been using the Burr method. So I'm looking for a, a, a refinance here to get my capital back out and I'm, I've been told by the banks I've been talking to that I do have that six-month um, six seasoning period, which is obviously slowing my velocity of money down. Um, yep. But apparently, I need to ask better questions about what some other options are. If, if, if I'm not pulling any capital out, just going straight to that 70 or 75%, um, I wonder if I can speed that up a little bit. Yeah, if, you know, if I don't know how you're funding your deals, but, I mean, did you put, 20% down on it when you started or how did you initially fund it? Um, so most of them I've got a, I've got a large home equity line of credit. Uh, and so I'm picking these yep. up for, you know, I'm picking them up for 40 or $45,000 and putting some rehab money into them. And then uh, just um, that's, I'm holding them on the HELOC. Obviously you want to cycle that through with some refinances so I can go buy some more. Um, yeah, um, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah it, it, in that scenario, you're, I mean, Fannie Mae can always change what they're doing. So as of now, July 2020, last I checked, Fannie Mae was requiring six months in that scenario to get do the cash out. So if you, instead of using that HELOC, if you had a private money lender who would fund your deals at closing and take a lien on the real estate, they could be paid back and just a straight up refinance um, without that seasoning period involved. Interesting. That's it's yeah. interesting. Cool. Well, that's a that's a really good point. Really good distinction there. So, so going forward now, what's uh, what's the strategy? What's the plan now? Yeah. So, I view this one to four family stuff as a good retirement plan. I mean, we've got we've got four million in real estate right now, and there's two of us. You know, um, so I'm 39 years old. You know, if we liquidate it all when I'm 65, you know, and it appreciates at a, it's like, you know, 3% rate or something like that, it's going to, it's going to triple in value. So, you know, we would have 6 million each and paid yeah. for real estate, Yeah. you know, which, which I would, I would likely sell at that time and do a 1031 exchange or even do a refinance and just pull, you know, 75% of that out and then keep the real estate or something. But it's a great retirement plan for us because, 
I would just stick the money in an index fund and live off of, you know, the 4% rule, just take 4% yeah. of 6 million, have 240,000 a year, you know, coming in. And uh, I, you know, I, I know that's in 25 years, that's, that's going to be less money than it is today, but it's still a great retirement plan. So what I'm working on now is scaling up and doing bigger deals um, for, you know, basically the financial freedom aspect of this, because our portfolio is kicking off 200 bucks a door times 20 doors. So, so about, you know, $4,000 a door per month. But I've also, you know, made the commitment to pay my uh, investment partner back, you know, all of his capital before I take anything out of the business. And we're planning on doing that, you know, upon a refinance here in probably three to five years. Yeah. So, um, you know, at that point, all that cash that goes into the account, half of it's mine. But you know how investing in one to four family stuff is, you just got to have good reserves there. And we were really thankful we had good reserves during all this COVID stuff, because yeah. we had 10 deal 10 deals that were being renovated, that were vacant when all this COVID stuff happened. And the, you know, the banks required that your reserves, uh, they required that you have double the reserves that they did previously just to close our loans. So I went from having six months of reserves to 12 months of reserves overnight. Wow. And so we were, we were really thankful that we had proper reserves in place. So, you know, right now we're not taking money out of our, our real estate business, all the profits just building up our reserves in our account. Um, and so like I view that as kind of a retirement plan. And like once we start getting surplus reserves, we're just going to start pay, pay, paying off the cheapest property and just get that whole portfolio paid off. Um, and then we could start living off the cash flow at that point. But over on the other side, I'm now working at buying my own apartments. So um, I'm working on buying a 30 to 100 unit deal this year. It's my goal. So that's what I'm working on next. 30 to 100 units this year. Uh, I think I remember uh -huh. seeing a post on that. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's so cool. You definitely have to keep us posted after you accomplish that. Let's get you back on yeah. and tell us the story. Tell, tell us how yeah, you Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Um, what are some of the, what are the, some, what's the common terms that you're using for the private money? I mean, what are you, what kind of yeah. terms are you asking for? You know, it's really kind of whatever the lender wants, but I mean, I was, I was honestly shocked how easy it was to go the private money route um, hmm. because, you know, I just had it in my mind that, you know, private money is only something that, you know, really big players can get. And yeah. really private money is something that, that anyone can borrow. It's, it's, I mean, you could, you can, you could borrow money from one of your family members right like if you if you wanted to buy a car and you didn't have enough money to buy a car you could go to your family member and say hey can i borrow money to go buy this car now they may not want to lend it to you right but uh that's that would be a private money loan so yeah. just because you hear private money there's a thousand different ways to structure it and there's there's some rules about it when you're investing in you know real estate uh like going out and offering you know, yeah. to take private money and invest it. So you gotta, you gotta make sure you're abiding by those rules. But yeah. um, if you've got, you know, pre-existing relationships and stuff, there's some different rules about that. And my private money lender, I already had a relationship with, and they actually came to me and offered me the money. I didn't even go ask them. 
Like, and you'll, and you'll discover that as you're investing in real estate, you'll, you'll start having people approach you that are high net worth individuals. And this guy was, was accredited as well. Um, and I mean, I wasn't, like I said, I didn't go to him. He came to me and he, he just, he just asked, you know, Hey, what's, what's a way I can help you in your real estate business? And I said, honestly, I've been thinking about private money. He said, how much do you want? And I said, I don't know, you know, $200,000. And he was like, you got it. So I was like, what? <laughs> like, it's just kind of crazy. Um, wow. And uh, I think the rate, I think the rate was 9% interest only for 12 months. Um, so not a super high interest rate. And, you know, he just took a lien on a second lien on the property. Uh, which I was totally fine with. And the reason the reason he was okay with it is he liked the markets I was investing in. He knew the markets I was investing in. And he also knew that the the hard money cost plus, plus the private money cost was below 75% of the value of the of the property. Yeah. So in a work you know, in a in a scenario where he's got a foreclose there's still 25% margin above his loan amount on the asset. So he felt like he was in a margin of safety he was comfortable with. And he also felt like we knew what we were doing and it worked out. He got all his money back. It's always gotten paid on time. So, you know, that's the win-win that you're looking for when you're using other people's money to invest in real estate. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's yeah. So awesome. It really, it really did change my investing game a lot. And I remember when somebody talked to me about, possibly considering private money, I was like, well, yeah, I would consider that, but that seems, you know, far-fetched or whatever. And they're like, you would be surprised. And literally the first person I actually talked to about it, you know, said they would give me money, which was crazy. So, I mean, I think people are a lot more capable of, of leveraging this than they think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously he probably had been paying attention to what you were doing uh, via your podcast, social media, things like yeah. that. So he probably had already kind of garnered or developed a level of trust in, in your expertise and your ability to turn deals over and make money. So that obviously probably went a long ways of selling him on the idea way before yeah. you guys even had that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about it this way, you know, if if you had, let's say you had a million dollar net worth and you were making 200,000, 250,000 a year or whatever, and somebody came to you and had a good project and you, and you had some money to invest, like what, what's going to make you want to invest with them versus not want to invest with them? Like if you don't trust them or you don't know them at all, or you think they don't have a good track record, or you've heard something negative, like you're not going to invest in that for any, you know what I mean? But if you feel good about it, you like the asset class, you've known them for a while, you've followed with their track record. Like those are things that are compelling reasons to invest, you know? Yes. So it's, it's the same thing as it would be like, you know, with investing in a startup, I would guess, you know, or are you going to go throw a big chunk of money into a startup, you know, nothing about, you know, versus maybe a company you're more familiar with that you've followed along with for a while, like one looks a lot better than the other, you know? Right. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. So with this, with this money, this 200 K, um, how are you using it? Your, this is, are you using it for the, the cost that the hard money's not, uh, covering, right? The hard money, how to 
still need Correct. the ten percent. So you're you're distributing this two hundred K across several deals, covering the ten yeah. percent and the associated holding costs and purchasing costs, right? That's correct. Yeah. We used it we used it for everything that wasn't covered by the hard money. Yeah. Except except holding costs. Like we had to pay the holding costs out of our own pocket. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So the the hard money would pay ninety percent loan to cost. And this was pre COVID. Yeah. I know hard money lenders have lowered their the ones I've talked to have lowered their loan to value requirements, but our hard money guy was doing 90% and then our private money guy was doing 10% plus closing costs. So we would, we would even roll the closing costs in because closing costs add up. I mean, when you're yeah. borrowing hard money, you know, they may be charging you a point and a half and then you've got all these other closing cost fees. It can turn into a good bit of money. Yeah. So when you're able to use, you know, private money or other people's money for the closing costs, as well as the other 10%, it really frees you up to do more deals. That's how we were able to do 10 at one time. Yeah. Wow. Cause that's impressive. I mean, I don't know how else you go, you, you pick up 20 properties, you know, 19, 19, was it 20 properties, 19 doors? Was it? Yeah. yeah. It was 20, 20 doors, 19 properties. Yeah. yeah. Right. Other way around. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So to do that in 12 months, I mean, you've got to have this kind of a system where you're, you've, yeah. got, money, you've got somebody else covering the cost. Otherwise that's going to be, yeah. New. So, Yeah. And and I would also say this, like, you know, be cautious because you could get yourself into trouble doing this. And here's how, if you, if you screw up your after repair values, if you screw up your, you know, what these are going to be worth when you're finished, then when you go to refinance and they don't come in where you thought they would, you're going to have to use capital to close them. Right. And if you've got 10 going at once, and you've got your $5,000 short on 10 properties each, you're gonna have to come up with 50 grand. So make sure you've got money in reserves and in case your your appraisals come in low, because as we know, nothing ever goes exactly like you think it's gonna go in real estate. So you gotta, you gotta have some money there in reserves. But the thing I like about this is, let's say you've got $200,000 in reserves. Well, instead of having all your money tied up in deals and leaving you with no reserves while you do 10 properties. If you use other people's money to do all 10 of those, you've got your 200 sitting in reserves. And then let's say you go on the refinance and they come in overall $5,000 low a deal and you got to put 50 K in. Well, you've still got 150 in reserves and you've got all your properties refinanced. Yeah. And, and that 50 K you sunk in there, you, you know, that's at the 75% loan to value number. So you put in, you may have put in 50 K, but you may have gained 500 K right in equity. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. you've, 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 you've 10 X that equity you put in that 50 K is worth created 500 K in equity. And you now own all these cash flowing properties and you've still got 150 in reserve. So just make sure you don't, I would, I would caution people not to use this strategy if you don't have any reserves. Yeah, that's super smart. I agree with that. Um, yeah, having reserves in general, right? That's that's obviously a great piece of advice. So totally, um, awesome, man. So so, what would you tell somebody that's trying to get into real estate? Like, um, this is obviously a great method. I think anybody can do this. But what are some some main tips that you would give for somebody that's trying to jump in? Yeah. Um. It's totally doable 
Um, I, I think you have to be you have to be responsible in the way you go about it because you know I I I have the I have the feeling and I, I read a lot of people that are saying like I don't have any money. Um, I want to invest in real estate. Um, and that's you can you can use other people's money like I did. I, I partnered up with someone, he funded our entire deal, and we've got four million in real estate with 1.2 million in equity. It's been a, a phenomenal win for me, right? So, but but I could not have done that if he didn't know I've been an appraiser since 2005. Yeah, I've appraised thousands of properties, you know, single family, multifamily, all that. I've owned my own investment properties. Like, you know, he was comfortable with me enough to do that. So you can get into real estate with none of your own money, but like he always had reserves for us. Like I would not have just taken his money and done deals on my own with no money in reserves myself because that's setting you up for disaster. Right. So yeah. you just need to be wise about how you go about doing it and figure out what your, what your issue is and then backfill that, that need. So if you don't have any capital, but you've got the hustle and you've got the knowledge, you can go out and find the capital to do the deals. Like find somebody that wants to partner up with you and share in the equity or, you know, find private money and figure out a way to build up your reserves or something. But, like this is something that anyone can do, but it's not easy. It does require work. It's not passive. It's not like investing in stocks, right? People call it passive passive income, but if you're owning one to four family stuff, you know that it's not completely passive. You're still getting phone calls and having to mess with stuff. You know, even if you yeah. have it managed by someone else, it, yeah. it can become more and more passive as you put systems in place, but it's not like owning a stock. You know what yeah, I mean? That's true. Um but you can you can experience like incredible wins in real estate that are very difficult to get in the stock market in my experience. So I, I can find deals all day long where I'm getting above a 20% in, uh, you know, cash on cash return in one to four family. Whereas over in the stock market, you know, Warren Buffett's gotten 21% a year on his stuff. So, I mean, you know, Warren Buffett's in the you know, top 1% of the top 1%. I mean, you're not, yeah. you know, good luck getting 21% a year in the stock market. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. Okay, perfect. So what do you, what do you see? What do you think separates for those that succeed in real estate or whatever journey they're on from those that, that struggle and, and, and uh, give up fail? Yeah, man, it's, it's just grit it's grit and hustle. I mean, you gotta, you gotta really go after with the commitment to work through all the problems because there's going to be a lot of problems. There's going to be a whole lot of problems, a whole lot of things go wrong and you just got to be willing to persevere through it and take each one that comes with a smile on your face and say, this is just part of it. You know, like, I mean, I couldn't even, t I couldn't even begin to tell you the number of things that have gone wrong. Like it's unbelievable. It's, it's, but it's it's part of it, man. And the return of, the return on investment we're getting is ridiculous, you yeah. know. So, but it's because we put up with a lot of ridiculous problems, and it's it's like I have not found a real estate investor that doesn't have to do the same thing. It's like every one of us have all these weird things happening all the time yeah. with um, our properties from from pipes from pipes busting to gas leaks to you know domestic violence issues in the homes to you know I mean you name it. 
Yeah. Like tenants just leaving on the middle of a lease or, you know, COVID-19 or, you know, it's like always something, but it's, but I mean, the thing is like, you can get that really outsized return and you're only limited basically by your ability to go out there and make these things happen. So. No, that's exactly right. Perfect. I love that. The grit. Um, <clears throat> so another question I really like to ask is yeah. what is, what's your favorite book or what's a book that's been the most powerful impact in your life that you would recommend others to, to read? Yeah. So right now, I mean, I'll tell you one that, that I'm going through right now that's really made a, a big impression on me is the book Relentless by Tim Grover. Um, it's, it's, uh, man, it's, it's powerful. It's, it's about, it's got, it's, it's about a guy who did a lot of work with Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. And, um, a lot of it was on mindset. It was on, you know, creating a grit and perseverance in your own mind towards what you're doing. That is gonna, is gonna take you levels up from where most other people operate. And, it truly is like after reading this book, like I've gone back and watched some of those old Jordan games hmm. and just from what he talks about, about Michael Jordan, like you can see it in Michael Jordan, like Michael Jordan is phenomenally talented, but yeah. the guy also worked his butt off at what he was doing and watching him growing up. I just, I took it. I took the work he put in for granted. Like I just thought yeah. this guy's just this awesome, you know? Yeah. But what I didn't see was all the work that was going in behind the scenes and how, how just, you know, dogmatic he was about being the best he could be at every part of what he was doing. And I think like that characteristic alone, I think you can have average talent in real estate investing. And if you have that mindset where you're going to just basically run through a brick wall to get where you're going and be so persistent that like nobody's going to outwork you or out persist you you can do incredible things in real estate. And I like this book is really good for that. And it's uh, called it's relentless by Tim Grover. So check yeah. that one out. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's perfect. I, I, I've read relentless. That is a great book. Um, yeah. also saw Tim Grover speak at uh, one of the 10 X growth conferences, which was really oh, awesome. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. Um, okay. Awesome. So, so what, um, what, well, how, how do I ask this? What's the mindset that somebody needs to have? I mean, you talked about grit, but give us more of an insight to the mindset that you, that you think somebody's going to have to have to get, for example, in your, your goal is, uh, what was it? A hundred doors by the 30, 30 to a hundred doors by the end of the end of the year. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's that going to take? Like what kind of a level of mindset are you going to have to have? And, and, and yeah. obviously teach others what, what it's going to yeah. take. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll just tell you what we've been doing. Uh, we, we pulled data on all the property owners in our target market and I built, I built a team of people out and we've been calling these, we've been calling 200 owners a day mm -hmm. and we've been, you know, the, the good leads we have, I've been connecting with those owners and talking to them about what they want for their property you know, Friday I went and spent three hours walking a property with a property owner who's interested in selling. We're interested in buying it from him. Right now I'm working through all the numbers, just trying to get our number nailed down on what we're going to offer him. But, you know, it's taken, 
it's taken massive action. Uh, I don't have one yet, but I also know that any time in the past where I've taken a lot of action towards a goal, like it's just a matter of time until you reach the goal. So, you know, if it takes me a year, if it takes me two years or three years, I'm going to keep going at it. So my goal is 12 months and I'm going to work at it. Like I want to get it done in three months. Right. But at the same time, if, and this is how I think real estate investing works, like you, it's like, if I don't reach my goal in 12 months, I'm not giving up. Right. I'm going to yeah. keep going. Right. But, but I'm committed in my mind to doing everything with my power to get there within the next 12 months. So, but it's just taking massive action and doing everything you can to like get the momentum going to get the rock rolling downhill, you know? So you're not going to find deals if you're not out looking for deals. So we just said, Hey, we want to contact a ton of owners then we want to work those leads best we can. Then once we get a deal under contract, we got to figure out the financing aspect of it. And I've already got a lot, a number of people who just through my podcast and Instagram or whatever that are accredited investors that have approached me wanting to invest in multifamily deals with me. So I'm fairly optimistic about that part of it, but that's another piece wow. to the puzzle. And then I've got, you know, I've got some guys that are seasoned department investors that I'm friends with that have offered to work with me on my first deal. So to make sure I'm, you know, give me a sanity check on everything I'm doing, make sure I'm not making some huge mistake or something. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of been my approach so far. I love that, man. So, so outside of real estate and this awesome journey that you're on, uh, what else do you like to do? Um, what, what else are you passionate about? Yeah. So I'm, I'm into fan. I'm really into fantasy football. So I do that every year I'm commissioner of my league and have a bunch of guys. We've all played together for a long time, super competitive. We really get a kick out of that. And then, you know, I, I've got little kids, so I spend a lot of free time just doing family stuff, you know, just hanging out with my kids and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, hobbies outside of that or i mean honestly i do real estate as a hobby as well like, I just, I just really <laughs> well that's a good point that's what makes yeah. that's a passion right that makes yeah, sense. yeah yeah so i don't really get tired of real estate um yeah. but you know i mean as i've you know as my kids are, are growing up a little bit you know i mean i'm i'm getting to do more and more fun stuff with them and cool stuff with them and then yeah. you know my wife and i like going out and trying different places to eat and that kind of thing and you know, growing up, I was always playing every sport I could and really into that. But I mean, now I've, I've kind of transitioned into like, I do my podcast as a hobby, you know, um, just connecting with people on Instagram that are investors. That's kind of a hobby of mine now. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so like, I, honestly, like a lot of this real estate work just also ch checks the hobby box off for me. So that's cool. Yeah, no, that's a good way to look at it. I love that. Uh, it's obviously super, it's a little easier to stay motivated and stay, uh, stay focused when it's something that you enjoy so much. So yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned uh, the Appalachian trail, uh, that you've done, yeah. half, you've done half of that. You want to go back and do the whole thing, right? Uh, yeah. Correct. Tell us more about that and what that, what oh, that man. Take. it was, it was such a, such an epic experience for me. I mean, um, yeah. So 2008, I sold all my properties uh, from when I was living in Fort Worth and pretty much sold everything I had except just some clothes and yeah. uh, put every, you know, put the little bit of belongings I had in a tiny little storage unit and literally had nothing and just went to the Appalachian Trail, put everything, you know, took a backpack and 
a buddy and I went and we started in Georgia and we, uh, we hiked to Pennsylvania and it did, we took about three months, but it was, it was awesome, man. Just met some of the coolest people and, you know, just basically living out of a backpack with kind of your belongings in your bag. It was just, it was really freeing to me, um, to not have stuff to worry about. And the funny part about this whole thing is the real estate market was going down in flames during that time. And I was off in the woods, like hiking around, like oblivious to it all. You know what I mean? Oh. So, cause I didn't own any real estate and I had not a care in the world. Uh, yeah. At that point. So, um, but it was, so it's, it's a bucket list item of mine because we got halfway finished and we were spending so much more money on food than I budgeted for because yeah. I read that they calculated that, you know, younger hikers, like I was doing it in my twenties, right? So younger hikers that have a higher metabolism, you're burning 12 to 16,000 calories a day out there. So, cause I mean, you're literally walking up and down mountains all day, you know, yeah. with a 40 pound bag on your pack on your back. So yeah. it was, I could not believe how much food we we're eating and I was losing weight like crazy. I mean, we could not eat enough food. And so I was watching my bank account and I'm like, I'm going to run out of money with like 25% of the trail left, you know? Yeah. And we were halfway done and we were just kind of like, what do we do? Do we, do we keep going and then start putting money on credit cards or do we just stop right here, leave with money in the bank and go back and go back to work and that kind of yeah. thing. Cause I mean, I had quit my job. Like I didn't have a source of income either Yeah. at that point. So we decided to stop halfway, but one of the reasons I'm, you know, one of my whys outside of financial freedom for my family and to give back and help people is I want to go back and do the trail. I'm going to start back in Georgia and I want to go all the way to Maine this time. And this time I want my real estate investments to pay for it. And I even have it in my mind that, like, you know, cause I'm probably gonna have to do this in my sixties when my kids are grown, that kind of thing, maybe fifties on late fifties, but I'd even like to, to have enough money coming in from my real estate investments that like, I can just, you know, when I meet cool people, like we go into towns, like I can just buy all their, buy all their meals and stuff, yeah. you know, just like, just like do a lot of fun stuff for people without them like knowing that, Hey, this guy has any money. I love to just like help people out and have a really good time. So um, it's kind of a bucket list thing for me. That's so cool, man. Uh, that that's awesome, and uh, we we all look forward to you documenting that because that, that <laughs> yeah. sounds pretty awesome. But yeah, that, that's a, that's a great point, right? You know, um, a big message of the Money Maven Project is to get people or to figure out how to get to a place in life where you don't have to say no to things that you want to do or things that you're passionate about because of a limit of time or money. And I, that's the freedom that, that I hope everybody can get to. So, you know, being able not, I'm not saying you ran out of money, but you had to make a decision there. Like, okay, do I keep going and do we, do we keep pushing on or do we, do we go back? And man, this next guy, this next go around, you won't have any limits, no limit on time, no limit on money. <laughs> yeah. so it'll be passively paid for by passive income, you know, quote unquote, passive income. And yeah. That's a whole different thing. And that's where I hope with our messages here in the project is to get everybody thinking that way and, and having those kinds of goals and earning or, or obtaining that kind of freedom. That's awesome. It's a great example. Absolutely. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I, I love, I love what you're doing with your show, Justin. I know it's going to help a lot of people.
Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you being on. I think this is a, this has been a great message. I've actually learned a lot. I think it'll be great for the listeners. And again, just, yeah, thank you so much for, for being a guest today. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I'd, I'd love to, um, to keep in touch. And yeah, if I can, if I can help you guys out anyway, let me know. And I'd, I'd love for everybody to check out my podcast. Oh, and I also have a book. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and build it. Yeah, yeah agreement that's the, and build it. How to crush your real estate investing goals is the title of the book. I'd love for folks to check that out. It's on, it's on uh, Amazon in physical or Kindle format. Um, yeah. The Kindle format is the easiest to find. Sometimes Amazon will sell out, and it yeah. takes my publisher a while to get back to them. But if you want a physical copy and it's not on Amazon, you can you can Google Book Baby, and Book Baby has it in their store. They can always get it to you, so it's there. Uh, easiest to get it on Amazon though. Yeah. So. Yeah. So dream it and build it, right? Is the book yep. title. Yep. And then Instagram's at daily real estate investor. Perfect. And yeah. And the podcast is the daily real estate investor. Daily of course. Estate. And yeah, Justin, I'll have to have you on my podcast as well. Let's do it, man. Let's line it up. Yeah. And yeah. I'll make sure all that yeah. stuff is in the, in the show notes here. So everybody can check you out and uh, yeah, yeah, man. Thank you so much. Sounds great, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Money Maven Project Podcast. A true maven shares knowledge with others. So be sure to share this podcast and leave a review. Thanks so much. And until next time, live life with intention.